Hey watchers, today's episode features the writing and directing stylings of famed British horror author Clive Barker. So pack your bag and grab a snack as we head off to explore the mythical monster haven of Midian in the 1990 dark fantasy horror film Nightbreed. Welcome to the Midnight Watch Podcast, the show where we discuss classic, cult, and modern classic movies. We're your hosts, Jeremy and Josh Baruto, and we review movies that are at least 10 years old. Fair warning, we're big on spoilers here, straight from the get-go. We rate these movies in four categories. Number one, the level of impact and success it had when it was released. Number two, how relevant is it today? Number three, our own personal enjoyment of this movie. And number four, is it a Midnight Watch? What is a Midnight Watch? It's a film which completely captures your attention, drawing you in. No matter what time or what part you start watching the movie, you have to finish it. So Josh, have you ever read any of Clive Barker's books? No. Um, It's funny because being a, you know, huge Stephen King fan, I don't read a lot of other horror authors. Mm. I mean, I've, I've read Lee Schraub. Straub? Straub. The guy that he... Um, Lee Straub? Straub, sure. Yeah, the <laughs> dude that he wrote um, a couple of books with, which now I just completely forgot the two that he wrote. Oh, you're talking about Black House and then like the Talisman? The, yes, the Talisman. I, that was the one I was mainly trying to uh, think of, which is an awesome book. I love that one. That's a great... It's a little... has more of his Dark Tower-ness mm-hmm. to it. Yeah, and um, and those characters are in it, which is awesome. Right. Um, I and I tried was, to read. I thought huh? that was that was Peter Straub. Peter Straub. Did I say Lee? You said Lee, and I was like Lee. Like I was like, that's the guy that write that writes the Jack Reacher books. Lee Childs. Right. Now, not Lee Childs. No, no, no. no. Yeah. I just I, I knew it was Straub, and I just forgot his first name. But anyways, I tried to read him, mm-hmm. and I don't think I finished the book. Um. Mm. Anyways. I digress. Yeah, there just haven't been many other horror writers that I've really enjoyed. And a big part of it is just not that I, I, and I've said this forever, I don't necessarily love Stephen King because of his horror content. I just think he's a master storyteller. Yeah. And I've always loved everything that, you know, any story he's got to to talk about, the characters are always so rich and intriguing. It doesn't matter what what the vehicle is to propel the story, you know. Right. No, I definitely. In my opinion. But yeah, I de- so definitely agree. I've never, I've known about Clive Barker for a long time and mm-hmm. I've just never read him. I kind of want to now just, just because I know he's pretty influential. Yeah. Obviously, you know, as a writer, but also, be, you know, the movies. I mean, um, Hellraiser, what he, that's a pretty landmark franchise in the horror genre. Right. Which is pretty impressive that he actually wrote and directed that because, like, Obviously, Stephen King and him are not the same level of with uh, directing wise. It's just, I I think that's really impressive that he directed his the first movie. I think he had done there was like one or two other films that were adapted from his work, and then he adapted Hellraiser from his own story, The Hellraiser Heart. And yeah, landmark film, definitely one of like the classic monsters. When you see Pinhead, like even if you don't know his name or anything like that, you recognize him. And that's pretty cool, right? Right. And yeah. 
And so this one was his follow-up movie, Nightbreed, which originally uh, was based off his uh, short story, uh, Cabal. Uh, I have not read that. I've read some of Clive Barker's stuff. I read a collection of short stories that he did, which was really creepy. And I feel like he's a little bit more myth- mythical and mystical than Stephen King. Because Stephen King, he'll get more into like dim- alternate dimensions and stuff like that. But um, Clive Barker goes straight up religious attributes or like mystical type of things and so he's got lots of uh symbolism in his books and Mm -hmm. yeah and it's just it's very different but i actually find his his work to be actually a lot creepier than stephen king's because okay it's it's, i would dare say it's darker but i think that's also because stephen king the more you read him the more you realize he does actually have rules in place for his own horror like everything does make sense it's not just it's not like a Cthulhu type of beastie thing where it's like beyond your imagination. You can't figure, right. like it's, yeah, it's words can't explain it. It's he does have an actual his own world, which is you know it's still creepy. Like the Overlook Hotel that that's like a, it's you know how that's just like right. ominous presence or something like that. And but we do it, know he is he is a sucker for like a happy ending. Yeah, in in some in some way, which is probably why. Most of his the endings to his stories aren't great. Um, <laughs> well, now nah, I don't know. I don't have an answer maybe. for that. Yeah, I don't know. Right. <laughs> um, I think if there was an answer, then like, he would hopefully figure out how to do that. Um, yeah. Back to uh, Clive Barker, though he he doesn't like organized religion, but he has a lot of religious stuff in his movies, and I'm sorry, his his work. And it's interesting. I guess he was on some show in the '90s and. Somebody was um, bashing him, and then he claimed that he was a that he was a Christian. And so, um, I don't know. I, I think it's one of those things where it's like you don't want to be labeled a Christian because when you hear the word Christian, you think of whoever has been labeled a Christian in your personal life, and then they that gets uh, projected onto you, even if people don't know right. you at all, don't actually know your beliefs. Because the word Christian, I mean, there's over a thousand different denominations in the Christian camp and so like and when you hear the word christian you're like what does that mean you know it's kind of like i'm an sure. i'm an american well what does that mean you know like that's right all over the place but that's right there that's hand in glove a lot of people consider themselves i'm an american and i'm a christian because being christian <laughs> means you're american and being american means you're a christian and it's right. just this i'm a christian has nothing has nothing to do with faith oh yeah it's, it's everything to do with tradition i think more than anything oh yeah but I think that sometimes gets mixed up with religion because of the traditional stuff in uh, religion as well. No matter what religion you're from, there's there's lots of different things like that that have been handed down. But I, I agree, specifically in America, for sure. Um, so with this one, it's interesting because you get a little bit of it. Like, for example, I mean, the name Midian that they're trying to find, you know, that's in the Bible. And so... They, they base off like some of the monster stuff uh, loosely off of some items in the Bible, some words that are dropped. And I find that fascinating. Now, well, like, Midian was, at least in the Bible, it was a pagan culture. Yeah. So let me drop some knowledge real quick. Uh, this is directed by Clive Barker. This was uh, written by Clive Barker, uh, the story. And it says the screenplay potentially was ghostwritten by, I can't remember. There's it's a different person that was potentially ghostwritten by. Um. Clyde Barker actually is also known for, I didn't know this, he wrote the story and screenplay for Candyman, which is another 
landmark um, horror series, and the remake for right. that the remake for that's coming out later this year. So I'm excited to see that. Um, and then let's see here. It was the score was surprisingly by Danny Elfman. I did not know that until I watched it again this time. And right. I mean, the- <laughs> you don't have to know that it was written by him because once you hear it, you're like, oh my gosh, this is. Gotta this be, is classic, classic Danny Elfman. Right. Got to be Danny Elfman. Absolutely. Um, the budget was $11 million, which is a huge budget for a horror movie in 1990. Like, that is, that's a huge budget. Because the, the budget for Hellraiser was $2 million, and that movie did really, really well. So people were like, oh, Clyde Barker is the next Stephen King. Like, um, you know, let's let's jump on that train. Now, the box office for this was $16 million, So it really... Didn't do amazing in that. We'll get into why uh, a little bit later. And let's see here. It is it is starring Craig Schaffer and Bobby, David Cronenberg, Charles Hayde, Hugh Quarshi, and Doug Bradley. I'm sorry, Doug Bradley. And let's uh, let's hear the synopsis, and then we'll jump into it. There's a lot to talk about this movie. Sounds good. Well, bef- before we do that, uh, when did you first see this movie? Oh snap! Good question. <laughs> Um, when did I watch this movie? I actually, I actually saw this movie for the first time pretty recently. I want to say probably like three years ago. I, yeah, I would not even know what it was. And then it popped up when they, they released it, they re-released it in 2014. So, um, I saw it probably a year after that and I was like, what is this movie? I clicked on it and I saw it was directed by Clive Barker and that's all I needed to know. I immediately started watching it. And because I didn't know he directed other movies uh, um, besides Hellraiser, which he, he has another one too, Lord of Illusions, which I haven't seen that yet. But uh, yeah, I want to say a couple of years ago. And initially, I I liked it, but I didn't love it. And we can we can go into that for a little bit later as there well. There we go. So yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I it's funny when we picked this one. I for, dude, I really thought I had seen this before. Mm-hmm. And um, I was confusing it with I think two other movies, but even the poster, I really thought that I had you know just looking at the the cover art, especially for the the release the night the the director's cut uh, right. release, which I think that's when what you say came out in two thousand fourteen, right? And um, but no, I confused it with other movies, and so I just kind of always skipped over it, like oh I've already seen that, and then when we decided to do it, I'm like oh snap, I have not seen this movie. At right. all, yeah, and that was that was kind of a treat. I didn't really know what I was getting into. Uh, I'll be honest; I am not a big Hellraiser fan, and I what? didn't. Really, I know it just uh, I don't know. Just the whole S and M thing just is not not my bag, baby. <laughs> Which I know it's it's not S and M necessarily. It's it's different than that. Uh, well, it's kind of S and M, anyways. Uh, yeah, keep, so I just keep, wa- I just keep watched digging this. the hole. <laughs> so. Help! Help me! Uh, I will say, in your defense, I'm not a huge Hellraiser fan either. That's all I got to say. So I'm also <laughs> new. I have just watched it for the first time. Oh, okay. And yeah, so I'm uh, I'm definitely excited to talk about it. But now let's jump into the synopsis. Let me give you a quick rundown. Let's and do it. this is the director's cut. That we are covering the theatrical cut has a different ending. I'm not going to describe that ending. I'm going to describe, or rather, read what Wikipedia put up about <clears throat> the director's cut. I will. I go. will say real quick. Um, yeah. The direct, direct, yeah. The director's cut is is pretty much kind of the only way you can watch it right now. The theatrical version is hard to find. 
So uh, the director's cut is got 40 minutes of different footage in it. It's 20 minutes longer than the than the theatrical cut, and but they switched out 20 minutes of it with a, a different 20 minutes to make the movie flow better. So, all right, now back to the synopsis. Back to the story. Aaron Boone dreams of Midian, a city where monsters are accepted. At the request of girlfriend Lori Winston, Boone is seeing psychotherapist Dr. Philip Decker, a serial killer who convinces Boone that he committed Decker's murders. Decker drugs Boone with LSD disguised as lithium and orders Boone to turn himself in. Before he can do so, Boone is struck by a truck and taken to a hospital. There, Boone overhears the rants of Narciss, a seemingly insane man who seeks to enter Midian. Convinced that Boone is there to test him, Narciss gives Boone directions to the hidden city before tearing the skin off his face in order to show his true face. He is quickly subdued by hospital staff, and Boone leaves. Boone makes his way to Midian, a city beneath a massive graveyard in the middle of nowhere. Upon encountering supernatural creatures Kinski and Peliquin, Kinski says they should bring him below, but Peliquin refuses to allow in a normal human. Boone claims to be a murderer, but Peliquin smells his innocence and attacks him, biting him. Boone escapes, only to encounter a squad of police officers led by Decker. Boone is gunned down after Decker tricks the police into believing Boone is armed. Due to Peliquin's bite, Boone returns to life in the morgue. When he, re- when he returns to Midian, he finds Narciss there and is inducted into the, their society by the Nightbreed's leader, Dirk Lylesberg. In an initiation ceremony, Boone is touched by the blood of their deity, Baphomet. Seeking to understand why Boone left her, Lori investigates Midian. She befriends a woman named Cheryl Ann and drives to the cemetery with her. Leaving Cheryl Ann at the car, Lori explores the cemetery where she finds a dying, wolf-like creature. A woman named Rachel a nightbreed with the power to transform into smoke, pleads from the shadows for Lori to take it out of the sunlight. Once in the shadows, it transforms into a little girl, Rachel's daughter, Babette. Lori asks about Boone, but is rebuffed by Lylesburg and scared off by Peliquin. While leaving the cemetery, Lori discovers Cheryl Ann's corpse and her attacker, Decker. Decker attempts to use Lori to draw Boone out of hiding. Boone rescues Lori, and Decker learns Boone cannot be killed due to his transformation. Decker escapes, and Boone takes Lori into Midian. Rachel explains to Lori that the monsters of folklore were peaceful beings who were hunted to near extinction by humans. Lylesburg banishes Boone and Lori from Midian. Decker learns how to kill the Nightbreed and murders the residents of the hotel where Boone and Lori are staying. When Boone discovers the crime scene, he uncontrollably drinks the blood. The police find Boone and take him into custody. At Decker's urging, the police form a militia led by police captain Eigerman. A drunken priest named Ashbury joins them as God's servant in their upcoming battle against Midian. Lori, Rachel, and Narciss rescue Boone and the four return to Midian, where Boone convinces the Nightbreed to fight. During the battle, Ashbury learns there are women and children amongst the Nightbreed. When he tries halting the attack, he is beaten by Eigerman. Ashbury finds the idol of Baphomet and swears allegiance to it. When he is splashed by its blood, he is burned and transformed. Boone learns from Lylesburg that Baphomet plans to destroy Midian. Boone argues to release the Berserkers, a monstrous, feral breed that were imprisoned due to their insanity. When Lylesburg is killed before he can open the cages, Boone releases them and the Berserkers turn the tide of battle. Decker confronts Boone and is killed. When Boone faces Baphomet, Baphomet says that Boone has caused the end of Midian, which had been foretold. Baphomet charges Boone with finding a new home for the Nightbreed and renames him Cobble.
and this is the alternate ending uh, in the cobble cut and the director's cut of the film. The night breed await Boone in a barn, whilst Boone says his goodbyes to Lori, as he must find a new home for the night breed. Boone promises to return to her, but fearing she'll become old, while Boone will retain his youth and immortality, Lori stabs herself, forcing Boone to resurrect her as a night breed. Narcissus is killed earlier in the battle by Decker, so he's not present during these events. Meanwhile, Captain Eigerman wanders the underground remains where he stumbles upon the transformed Ashbury, who now desires revenge. Eigerman shares his, this desire, but Ashbury rejects Eigerman's offer, kills him, and starts his hunt for the Nightbreed. The surviving Nightbreed watch Boone and Laurie in the distance. Kinski tells Babette that Boone will return soon, perhaps the next day, to lead them to a new haven. Boone and Laurie appear or are shown as part of a prophecy in a Nightbreed painting. And then this part, dude, I totally didn't watch the end of the credits, but I guess Decker Resurrection as a yeah. post-credit scene. Yeah, I totally I, didn't see that. <laughs> I didn't either. I read that and I was like, what? And I was trying to rewind it on, I watched this on Amazon Prime. And yeah, I, apparently either I just couldn't, it didn't show it or I didn't rewind it to, to the spot, but I didn't see that either. Okay. Yeah. I mean, because for, for sure I didn't watch it. Mm-hmm. And I just, I didn't feel like it was necessary to go back. To see right. that, but I don't right. know. I watched it on Tubi. Oh yeah, I don't, I don't know. Tubi's the way to go, dude. That's when I first watched it, and I mean now it's on Prime. But yeah, I watched it on Tubi originally. So um, to yeah to fix my mess up earlier in the episode, it was Mark Frost actually who was uh, one of the co-writers on the show Twin Peaks. Um, he actually ghost wrote the screenplay for this movie, even though it it is based off of Clive Barker's work Cabal, which is one of from one of his books of blood. That he did. So, which, uh, I don't know, though, if that's a compliment. Um, let's jump into this movie <laughs> real quick. I mean, right. no shade on Mark Frost with Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks is awesome. But just regards with, with this Nightbreed. Like, so, there was kind of a lot of drama that happened behind this. This reminds me of the, the newer Fantastic Four movie that came out where, like, the studio just... They got the pitch from the director, and they're like, "Oh, okay, yeah, that's that. You made something before that was really popular, so yeah, go ahead. Here's that." And then when it started showing up with with what the director had originally envisioned, the the production company, I'm sorry, the studio was like, "What are you doing? Like, this is this doesn't look like it's gonna be good or all." And then they just took over and butchered it. Right. Like, this movie was over two and a half hours long originally, and they made him cut it down to an hour and a half, dude. Like that's right. that's insane. We've seen other movies like that where it just totally wrecks the movie. Right. Well, I after reading about what all this movie went through, and you had told you would just give me the heads up like, hey man, this is this is the only one worth watching. This director's cut because the first one was so badly chopped up. Right. So I watched it, and it's funny to me because I still feel like this movie doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I mean, it's it's you can mm -hmm. barely kind of follow along. Right. So. And this is this isn't even the original cut movie the way that he wanted to put it together. This is they had to you know they found some of the old footage and then kind of slapped it together, right, to create this version. But dude, I'd swear this was like reading about DC butchering their movies. And, I know, yeah, you know, putting Zack Snyder what he went through with them backseat creating right. these films. You know, a bunch of suits, you know, doing it. So it's it's ridiculous how. Mm -hmm. This movie never had a chance. It really didn't. I mean, it was even marketed as a slasher film, and it was marketed as like the the monsters being the the bad guys because 
but that's the whole um, hook of the movie is like you think that they're the bad guys, but then like it it shows pretty cur- pretty early on in the movie that like no these people are just misunderstood and they're violent right. and vicious because they've been on the run for so long and so. Um, well, one, yeah. one thing I thought was interesting was that Clive Barker was under contract required to make a rated R movie, probably because of based off of the success of Hellraiser and his his uh, reputation and whatnot for the type of horror he does. But <clears throat> because of Annie, uh, Danny Elfman doing the music, which is phenomenal, if there's one solid, cohesive piece to this movie, it's the soundtrack. It is, it is awesome. It is you know, you feel like you're listening to the music from the first, you know, Tim Burton's Batman or Nightmare Before Christmas. I mean, it's just solid, classic, spooky Danny Elfman. Right. Well, this was and, actually that he wrote this uh, this score right after he did the Batman soundtrack. So right, it definitely yeah, so carries over. It does. It's very fresh. This is definitely what he was doing. Um, but um, to me, because of that, the vibe that the music lends to it, it, it to me, it feels like this could have been like a really awesome PG-13 movie too, because you do like the monster. Now there are, there's definitely some parts where you're like, yeah, that's not for kids. Some right. Monster stuff. But at the same time, I feel like if they could have just dialed that down a little bit, this could have been like maybe an amazing PG-13, you know, movie where the monsters are the good guys and, and right. uh, could have gone that direction really well. Um, I feel like Danny Elfman was a little bit of an odd choice for, you know, what they were hoping for a hard R Horror. Right. Well, I it's feel like he's a little too whimsical for that. So I totally agree. It plays with uh, like the the feeling of this movie is dark, but it kind of plays it like it's supposed to be lighter. But then it's like it doesn't pull its punches with the violence. Like the first time right. the dude like skins his own head. When I saw that, I was like, what in the world? Like, that's like that's intense, dude. Right. Like props to the uh, special effects uh, department. That's just like that's nasty and it just is shocking and really well done and the second time i watched it it's still that scene is still like whoa you know and but i would definitely agree like it for him wanting to do this as like to be this big epic monster movie that was supposed to be like the the lord of the rings of horror movies right well i think uh, the the quote the quote was he wanted to make the star wars trilogy of horror movies right and which I, right that's that's a bold statement which and it, that's awesome and i think that's probably why they were so excited about doing it but then they just took all the power out of his hands like, well we, we oh i don't know about that maybe we, we can't trust you to do that it's like then why are you having me do it <laughs> right right no i definitely agree and the the thing uh i'd like to see the original cut um i know that there is a vhs cabal cut of it that's like a really long version that's for that's right. hard you can't find that anywhere but I would like to watch that because I agree with you. It's still like for it being kind of a simplistic story, it's it's all over the place. And uh, right. And like the style, the artwork is out of this world. It's awesome. It's legit. It's like it looks cool. I love how every monster, um, ex- except for some monsters, majority of them, though, are like really cool looking because you're like, wow, that's so weird, you know? Right. And but the thing I. There's not a lot of reasons, though, for people to do different things in this movie. Like, they, they really don't. Like, okay, it's like, okay, David Cronenberg's character, he's a serial killer. Why is he a serial killer? We don't know. Like, why is right. he want to, why is he so bloodthirsty for Boone? We don't know. Right. And, right. Why is he so hooked on 
you know, framing Boone. Right. Yeah. And uh, then it's it's definitely kind of bizarre. Though he's a pretty cool serial killer. His mask. Oh the yeah. Zipper the zipper face mask. I don't even know if that's the, the what button he's, eyes what he's called. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. And as, as far as like a legit scary character, like I'm I'm kind of surprised we haven't again, I'm I'm not super huge in the horror community as far as you know, or you know maybe it maybe at certain Comic Cons you'll see him that character, but that seems like it should be a bigger character that right. you see people portraying or artwork for it and stuff like that. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And it's it's that first opening scene with the family that he just take that he takes out is really well done and that's actually a pretty scary scene. Like just Right. It's creepy. You I it's it's fast. It's, and they're such a normal looking family. I mean, the mom's overweight, dad's I mean, it, they just they're so normal. They're not a Hollywood looking typical right. family. I mean, they they look very very normal. Kind of chunky family. It's I awesome. mean, his, his whole thing, I guess, I, uh, is that he's trying to clean out the filth and vermin of the human race or whatever. And that he says that at one part, and then he, when he talks to the dude in the gas station trying to figure out where Midian is, and so he wants to cleanse the earth of their their filth as well. But it's just he he plays fast and loose, and like uh, also too, like the the police detective is kind of starting to get onto him when, of course, Cronenberg kills him. Before he, you know, it's just right. That, that's hey, all right. Dude, have you ever seen such violent Canadians? I think that's a first. <laughs> <laughs> that's the real sci-fi horror of this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you think it's like, you know, they're in the deep south of America. The way these, you know, they got these like vigilante like, oh like my this gosh. Po- posse of rednecks. Like, all right, we're gonna go take care of this. We don't want this in our in our town or whatever and right but they're freaking canadians and it's just it's so bizarre how yeah you know violent and angry they are you're like that's right are going against the stereotype pretty harsh here <laughs> right uh, that it's it's just so weird because then they're just like okay these are clearly the bad guys why are they the bad guys well they're just the bad guys like that's they're evil that's all we need to know and you're like okay so the militia's the bad guys and then the the monsters like they really they did a good job with the monster lore. I was really in, in interested in that, and I would have liked to know more about that. But they, since there's not all the characters are so wooden, like Boone is basically an empty husk of a person. You have no idea who he is or what his life was before he got obsessed with Midian. You don't know anything right. about him. The only thing you know about Annie, his girlfriend, is that she wants a brave man. She wants a caveman. Like that's in right. It's it, that's it, and it's just it's a, it's unfortunate. You're just told from the beginning these are the good guys, and I think right. well, honestly the only character that I really really liked, yeah, I forgot his name, was the guy who like cuts his own head pretty much. Yeah, Narcissus. Yeah. Narciss- I agree. Yeah, he was great. I thought that was awesome. I loved the part when they roll up in the police station in that in the truck, and uh, and he's got the cowboy hat on and the sunglasses. I'm just like this guy's right. a cool character. Um, I think it was a mistake for them to kill him off at the end of the movie. Right. And, I I agree. He was definitely my favorite. Right. I mean, David, David Cronenberg, as <laughs> kind of confusing as to, you know, the why of his character and, you know, the deeper motivation, he's a pretty cool character, too. I, I actually really enjoyed him being the bad guy, but, mm-hmm. man, I would love to see what was the original screenplay for this i mean was it actually fleshed out better or was it a little bit flawed from the get-go 
Right. But you can obviously tell editing wise, there's there's some holes, man. There'll be like a stretch of like, okay, now we're clicking, now we're going somewhere, and then all of a sudden it kind of changes directions. And you're like, what? Right. And like the whole part where David Cronenberg's like um, tracking Annie by dating that one girl from the bar and then just murders her because he followed. Right. That, that's it's it doesn't make any sense. Like he's just. Okay, this sounds weird, but like as a serial killer, like he just goes on a murder spree at the end of the movie. And I just, it doesn't make sense though, because he's so calm, cool, and calculated at the beginning. Right. That it doesn't. I agree. Like I know there's different serial killers that are like that, that just go like on a rampage. But his character, it doesn't go with that though. It seems like he's planned out. He didn't stick with one serial killer trope, which I I think he should have. He, He definitely bounced around too much. And what was that scene where him, like, it shows him in his lair listening to something, and then the camera pulls back, and there's a table full of knives, and you're like, what? Like, this, like, right. that's that's a cool scene, and, um, but then they, they don't really do anything with it. And so it's just like, I personally, actually, I'd watch a movie where the story was about a guy who his psychiatrist is, um, like, manipulating him into thinking that he's a serial killer when the psychiatrist is a serial killer. Like, that's a right. cool idea in itself. Like that sounds cool. Like you cut out all the the Midian and monsters and stuff, and like that that's still a movie I would really like to watch. Right, but, and you're right. It kind of does feel like two separate movies. Both concepts are cool. Right. Uh, but also, it's like they they really should have left. I mean, you find out very quickly that the psychologist, you know, David Cronenberg, is the bad guy. Right. And I feel like it would have been a little better if it was more of a reveal at the end of the movie. Or the last quarter of the movie, then, you know, how quickly, you know, because then there's just, there's so many different elements that they're battling, which is, that's right. not a bad thing sometimes, but the way it got there was just kind of confusing. Yeah, it would have been actually kind of cool if they put in a couple other red herrings and you, yeah, you don't, you get to see the mask more because when David Cronenberg doesn't have the mask on, I don't think he's even close to as intimidating as with the mask. Cause the mask is scary. It's cool. And, oh, very. Yeah, it's yeah. awesome. So, uh, let's see here. Uh, cool thing about this was uh, Rutger Hauer and Christopher Lambert were both considered for the role of Boone. Honestly, it would have been a better movie if either of one of them got the, the movie. Like, that would have been really right. cool. Well, it just would have been better star power, I think, yeah. moving this forward, too. I think that would have, I think it would have helped it. Because yeah. both those guys have been in some terrible movies that I think were better received just because they were in it <laughs> oh yeah but both of them are landmark actors from the 80s and so this came out in 90, 1990 so they right. were probably still pretty hot um with that i mean you got yeah i wonder why they didn't go with them if it was just a i don't know can come up with a number that they would go you know want to do or if they're really banking like this is going to be huge mm-hmm. let's get our mark hamill you know kind of our unknown guy which i don't I actually don't really know um much about that actor i should have read more about him before i don't i don't this. either like i don't think he's done a lot of a lot of stuff but yeah i mean i think part of it's because this movie didn't do very well so it probably might have stunted sometimes you know if you're just kind of up and going and your movie's not good then you're it just you don't take off like you're expected to oh yeah now dude total rabbit trail but what's his face who did uh john carter and that battleship movie <laughs> Taylor Kitsch. Oh my gosh. That's exactly, exactly who I was thinking of. Yeah. When I said that. He should have been. And he's, he's great. Like he's a cool actor. He's been in some other, you know, had some great roles in other movies. I mean, he was supposed to be the new, basically he would have been the the next Chris Pratt before Chris Pratt kind of character or, 
or any of the Chris's really pick your, you know, take your pick, but he was supposed to be that guy, the next A-lister, and he just got stuck in, right. unfortunately, in two turds in one year. Well, he was in three movies that year, actually, with the Oliver Stone movie. Um, oh, that, right. That shoot him up Which, movie. I totally right. blanked on that. Uh, what's, the, what's that called? Savages. I know. They're wearing the, the and, luchador masks. Yeah. And it looked freaking cool. And then you watch it and you're just like, what? Like, it's just. I know. It's just that was not, disappointing not for a different reason. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah. So you're in three movies. Supposed to be your breakout year. And all three of them bomb. Which. Like I, John Carter, though, it's like I'd like to sometime get into why that movie bombed because that's really fascinating, I think. Because that movie was, like, I agree, was actually not a bad movie. It's just the, the marketing was horrible. But, yes. anyways, trailers, trailers are terrible too. But yeah, we'll get into that later. Yeah. So, this one, um, yeah, it was originally supposed to be a trilogy of films. And let's see here. The sequel hook was actually forced on them, which I guess the, at the end. Okay. So, let's talk about The Preacher for a second. When. But they keep showing this preacher and he's like, at first you can see that he's drunk and he's conflicted. And then they take him. He's like, no, I, I've got to go as well. And you're like, why? Why do you have to go with them? Like, we know that you're drinking right. and you kind of maybe have, you're, you're not sure if you uh, you have, what am I trying to say? If your your beliefs are still there or not. Like, I don't get his character at all because they don't give you anything with him at all. He just like, right. he looks conflicted. That's, that's his, that he literally looks conflicted. And then when he shows up, you know, he sneaks down and he sees the devil and then the devil like fries him before he can touch the water that would let him like no knowledge. And then immediately he's like turned into this like guy where he's not even like righteous or whatever. He's just like, I want revenge. And you're like, dude, who is right. the, who is this guy? You know? Right. Like, it doesn't make any sense at all. Like, I, I was very, I, I've been watching Preacher recently and so I was just like, that has way more story, of course, than than this does. And that guy, I was at first, I was like, why is this guy even in here? Like, it doesn't make any sense until right. the until the very very end of the movie when you're like, oh, this is he's supposed to be one of the, like the big baddies in the, of the series, apparently. Right. So, he's the ve- he's the vehicle for the second movie. Right. Especially if he brings back Decker, so that that makes sense. But right. I thought that was just kind of lame. And there's lots of different things in this. There's a lot of problems with this movie, but I don't feel like all of it is studio um, interruption. I think it's just not as flushed out. I feel like the Hellraiser movie, from what I can remember of it, would just seem like a, a smaller, tighter, better written film. It and, is. Yeah. It is. There's not a whole lot. I mean, there, there's only... as far Yeah, as far as dealing with a killer and then, you know, the Cenobites, it's, it's pretty straightforward. You're really only looking at two different things there. Right, and this this has got several. I mean, it it was kind of like he was trying to build a whole lot of lore and mythology, right? You know, into one film where it probably would have been better if knowing going forward that you know the second film will explore a little bit more of the the mythos instead of just like trying to dump it all into the first movie. And again, I don't know, man. Maybe the first screenplay fleshed it out a little bit yeah, better. I don't know. We. Hopefully, we'll find out someday that if they release that or or just release the original screenplay online, that would be cool to just to be able to it read would. that. Cause, right. Yeah, I agree because I just definitely there's there's big holes in this story and I don't know if they're out there and it was part of it and they just had, they got it cut and we'll never see the light of day or if it wasn't there in the first place because right. Um, and th- I but think I that- think I think we can both agree though that there's something special with this movie and and there's a reason why 
um, the studio, I think in the first place was excited to, to have him make this movie. I mean, there's, it could have been pretty awesome. Very, you know, epic, huge. I mean, I agree. It could have been in its own way. The, the star Wars of horror movies, as far as this, this grand saga, this giant horror sci-fi space opera, not a space opera, but you know, an (laughs) opera. (laughs) That's the the sequel Nightbreed in space. Yeah. Right. No, I no, I totally agree. I think Clyde Barker has the imagination for it. I definitely think that the the styles of the characters that most of the monsters look really otherworldly and that's really cool. Some of them I'm kind of confused like the guy who just got the the tattoos. I was like, "Okay." But then I I did think was reading and I realized too like 1990 like tattoos were pretty taboo then still. So Right. Yeah, that, they're still very much a bad boy kind of a thing. Yeah, so that makes sense why that was there. But um, but some of the characters though, of course, like what's the quill porcupine quill girl? Like she was freaking cool looking. I yeah. thought that that was legit. And so yeah, like the was it the the want was there or the, like the the desire was there, but the the skills to make it what they were trying to do, we don't know if it was there or not because of studio right interruption. So what well, right. We, I don't know. Like you can, if you're a Clyde Barker fan, then of course you can carry the torch and be like, you know, his hands were tied and blah blah blah. Um, right. But but if which I, I mean my my gut and just because we've seen it happen in so many other movies, other franchises, other studios, I've I would lean towards you know they they cut his balls off on it. And yeah. Then it it would have been a lot better. But you're right. We don't know. Maybe maybe there really wasn't something there. But I feel like. In general, anytime a studio takes over like that, nothing good ever happens. Right. No, I definitely agree. Uh, but cause also, too, like trying to compare it to Candyman or Hellrise, Hellraiser just as a story writing it, um, both those movies are tighter uh, movies because yeah. the lore is smaller. This has got a lot yeah. of lore that you have to learn. And that's uh, honestly, that's probably why the human characters have like no background behind them because they're just the vehicle to get you to Midian. And then, right. and then they're like, "All right, now, now let's fight." And I'm like, "Okay." Right. And like, but maybe f- this, maybe that really should have been, um, you know, the monsters should have been a, more of a secondary thing in the first movie. Um, and you really get to work through the the serial killer part of the movie, and then maybe the second one would have been really getting into the monster lore, and then that third movie could have been where it all collides instead of them trying to do all of it in the first movie. Right. No, I definitely agree. I think you're right. If this was stretched out and flushed out into at least two movies, it would have been better because then you'd like really care about the characters. Because like the his girlfriend at the end when she's all like, "Oh, I tricked you," and then she stabs herself, so he has to save her and make her immortal. Like that just, I was just by that time I was like, okay, like you know, do do <laughs> right. do what you do, like let her bleed. No, like it just it was it wasn't earned and it was cheesy. And Oh, and that's the other thing too. Some of the lines in this movie are really cheesy. We're like the, yeah, the one there's guy a lot of that. And it, cause it, it, it goes back and forth where like, it's really part of, it's really menacing and scary. And then the next scene, they get that one monster. Where he's all like, y'all come back now. You here? And I was just like, Dude, right. That's, like, I know that's supposed to be funny and like goofy, but like, he's such a hardcore character. Like that doesn't make sense. Right. Um, That's something that I definitely noticed is that it it just it bounces back and forth between taking itself very seriously and then having fun with itself. And that's that's really hard to do. And I don't and they obviously did not do that right. Right. And the other thing or that's part of the studio messing with it. Right. (laughs) Once again, it goes back to that question, like how much of it was Clive Barker and how much of it was the studio. 
No, I got to say one thing that jumped out to me, um, the dialogue between the two girls. So the girlfriend and then the girl she meets um, out near Midian. Oh, yeah. That was some of the most natural dialogue, I think, in the entire movie. Yeah. And you actually you actually make a connection to this throwaway character who ends up getting murdered in the next scene. Um, Yeah. Right. Which really surprised me that like, holy crap, like out of all the characters, you actually make this connection with her. And then, and then it's gone. <laughs> and then it's gone. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. It's just, uh, I, I feel really conflicted about this movie because uh, yet again, I really wanted to like this movie. I totally see why it's a cult classic. There's a lot of special stuff in this movie that is really cool. And yeah. um, there's so many parts of it where I'm just like, oh, that's cool. I like that. But right. like all combined together, it misses the mark uh, for what I what it was trying to do in my opinion oh yeah no doubt to me it kind of feels like like the overall tone and part of this is or large part is because of danny elfman but but even aside from him just how the the monster design is and a lot of the set work and whatnot it sort of feels to me like tim burton and guillermo del toro did Mm -hmm. a collaboration there's a little bit of that vibe um it obviously goes a lot darker than Mm -hmm. either of those two Mm -hmm. uh and that's definitely clive barker but as far as like stylistically looking at it, that's kind of the the feel I was getting. Yeah, and it's interesting too because like they they definitely like they they were pushing like this has to be R rated. So then they did different gore scenes, and then they they got those scenes cut out because they were too R rated. So they had to like cut it out to keep it R rated. And so I that's where I'm conflicted. And actually, this is why I love Danny Elfman as a composer, but I feel like. I didn't quite get why he was chosen for this movie because Me either. it's so, yeah. it's so dark and there's different parts when, cause Danny Elfman really likes, he, he likes the brass section and he likes drums and like, uh, right. that, and that's cool. You and me both play drums. We both played the trumpet and brass when we were in school and like, I get that. That's really cool. I love the soundtrack uh, to many right. of well, Danny he loves, Elfman's he movies. loves his spooky choral voices too. Right. There was a lot of that in this one also. Right, and I thought that was cool. I like that he was able to go into more of a tribal style sound, but it goes up and down. Like He's got the cool, more serious style music, but then he's got more of a Tim Burton uppity flair at different parts, which I don't think helps this movie. No, it doesn't, and that's that's why I was also confused where it almost... I don't... I think a mistake, and when I I read this, this really kind of lit me up, but anytime someone is like contractually, you need to make a rated R movie... Right. I mean, that's that to me. That's are we making a good movie or are we making a rated R movie? Right. Because if they could have just, I'm just saying, maybe this could have been a a perfect PG-13 movie that just mm-hmm. kind of rode the line about of becoming R versus like, no, we need to make it R. We need more blood. We need more more boobs. You know, whatever right. it was. Right. Exactly. Trying to push it, and I think that's a mistake of creating a good piece of art. Let it be what it is. Right. No, I definitely agree. And market it with what it actually is. That's why some movies... Oh, that was a... Oh, my gosh. That was a huge mistake. That's why some movies fail is because they get marketed as one type of movie, and you go to watch it, and you're like, that was a lie. Like, that that's not right. at all what the movie's about. And then you get mad at the movie, and it's not the movie's fault. If you knew this movie was about... It was a monster movie. Just, just the basic sentence of, it's a monster movie. Whether they're good or bad, you at least know what you're getting into. To call it a slasher pick, yes, that's a big part of the movie, but it's not enough of the movie to 
you know, that's where the right. monsters part just take it, you know, way in the left field. Right. And I think the slasher part of it with this, um, the doctor being a serial killer, it's a cool idea, but I think it does take away from the, it, it, it takes away from the, the story with Midian and the monsters. And I think it should have right. been more of a simplistic setup for Boone and then have a better antagonist because, um, Decker, I think is, in a weird way, he's. It, it it doesn't make sense why he's the protagonist or the antagonist of this film. Like, right? It it doesn't make sense to me. And so, like you guys, like if I'm totally wrong on this, like please let us know. But like I didn't understand why. Right. Why Decker is just hell bent on setting up Boone? Why he hates Boone so much? It's not like he. Because at first I thought like maybe he wants to be immortal. He wants the power or whatever. No, right. he, just, he wants to just kill everybody, and so I'm just like, okay, like. But then he, it yeah. would have, it would have been a lot cooler if, if either they just really went committed to his character and explaining what's going on here, make it the focal point of the first movie. Mm-hmm. I think really could have. It still would have been a little bit weird why that would be part of this trilogy, why it really has anything to do with the the grand scheme of these monsters having a place to live peacefully. Right, but at least we could have understood his character better and maybe it would have been done a little more justice right like we both agreed he's it's a cool like the the serial when he's got the mask on and he's doing all the killing and everything he's a cool cool killer right no absolutely and david cronenberg is very um cold and um what's what's the word clinical in this in this movie like when he he's talking and stuff and that's it's perfect for the role but um, and then, of course, when he goes full on savage at the end, then I feel like he doesn't quite get that right. But I feel like it'd right. be better if, like, for example, that the the, uh, the um, pastor play him up, have him be the bad guy from the beginning, where he's just right. like, you know, like, yeah, show him. And man, especially if Clive Barker has a problem with a religious organization, dude, like, right? Let's that see was definitely that. it. Felt like an afterthought the way they added it to it. Like, oh, that's right, I forgot. I hate organized religion. Let me put that in there. Right. So, and hey, here we we've come back around. I think it's our third time circling back to this. You know, maybe it was just not going to be a good thing from the beginning. Maybe it was just too many ideas, right, crammed into one, yeah, one project. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it was just maybe it got streamlined too fast. Um, I don't know. I don't know how fast this movie got. Um got tracked greenlit after Hellraiser if they were just immediately right. like I mean obviously they threw money at Clive Barker cuz Hellraiser was a huge hit and you know still is to right. this day a very popular franchise so yeah like Nightbreed I guess they were expecting it to be the next big one I do think though oh, it would sure. I do think it would have done better actually if they called it Cabal which was what he originally wanted to call it but then the studio was like no change it to something else and so he changed it to Nightbreed which it could be well, anything that would have been fine if they marketed it as a monster movie. That makes sense. Nightbreed. Monsters. Right. Okay, I get it. Nightbreed, the slasher pick? The heck yeah. is that? <laughs> <laughs> right. Sounds like a bunch I mean, of... Unless, unless it was literally like a group of like, you know, slasher characters at it night. Had, I mean, yeah. then, okay, Breeding. cool. It's all about all of these crazy <laughs> slashers, you know, slasher characters, but... Right. No, it, it anywho, sounds, sounds it's like a... a it's kind of a hot dumpster fire of a mess, which is pretty... It, it is fun in the yeah. end. It's got a very cool ending where it just... Everything is just... So many explosions and and insanity happening at the end. So much chaos. It's it's kind of fun. 
Right. I no, I agree. Like the end, uh, they got some flack actually when it came out saying that the end was like there's the ending is too long. I feel like by the time you get to the end though, you're just kind of chilling and you're enjoying it. You're you're right, and it's just you're right. There's explosion after explosion. You're just kind of like burn it all down. Right. There's. <laughs> I don't I know mean, what's going on, but I yeah, get yeah, this <laughs> exactly. I don't. Yeah, and it's just like, oh, did that monster get killed? I think so. Oh wait, nope. There he is over there. He's attacking somebody. Okay. <laughs> And like, oh, no, I guess that guy did get killed. Okay, whatever. And Okay, so one thing I thought was hilarious when they're all like tactical and they're like, this is the type of gun that blah, 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 it does this and it saved your grandpa from World (laughs) War II. And then like, and then they go in and then they make the dumbest tactical error ever, which I am not in the military. I've never been in the military, but they're like, okay, we know that the sun hurts these monsters. So we're going to set up everything. And then we're going to attack them at night when, like, that just doesn't make any sense. It's like if you're going to right. blow up the entire compound, which they eventually do, do that during the day. And then you right. have, like, you what know. What happened to attacking at dawn, not attack, <laughs> attack at sunset? <laughs> I know. It's like you're attacking at their time when they have the upper hand. And so I just, anyways, um, I mean, I it's cool. It looks cool. It looks cooler than it, it does. would than would at explosions, night. Explosions work day. way better at night. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, little, one fire little, shows up better. Yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, one, another thing: the guy who plays Lylesburg, the leader of the Nightbreed, Doug Bradley. He was actually the character of Pinhead from the Hellraiser films. That's and, right. And yeah. so a lot of the Cenobites were actually monsters in this movie too. And so I thought that was pretty cool. Some that is people, a cool little tie-in. Right. So the good news: the good news about this, we I think we've agreed. The mythology of Midian and the monsters is cool. Like that idea a lot. So the good news is a TV show that is a sequel to the movie is in the works um, at the Sci-Fi Channel and is being written by Clive Barker. So fear, oh, fun. fear not. Like hopefully, so the Sci-Fi Channel has put out some solid stuff when they right. want to. Like the Expanse, love that show. Such a good show. Um, so I think that if actually. Yeah, if they do this serious, which I hope they do it serious. I hope they don't try to do little tongue and cheek stuff. And right. I hope he has more free reign than like go for it. I hope this is like the next sci-fi channel show that just makes people start talking about that channel again. I hope it's not right. I just hope it's not dumb like a lot of the sci-fi stuff. But right, yeah, they they're finally starting, like you said, to get some clout and to be like, hey, they're putting out legit programming. Right. Um, they're not the B content you know channel that they've been forever which and it's fine because that's that's they were huge because of it you know people there's a huge market for that but right uh they like you said they definitely put out some really high quality sci-fi i kind of almost wish that they would remake the movie as the first like two or three episodes of the show and then go on from there and keep this as a cult classic but at the same time it is cool that they do a direct sequel to a cult classic movie because this movie is a cult classic for sure like Right. There's fans that have been wanting over 24 years the a, a better version of this movie, which they finally got in 2014. Well, I think you said it. I mean, I, it would be cool if they did the whole first season on the on the movie, because then you could actually yeah. tell the full story, flesh everything out. The doctor, you know, the serial killer angle, flesh out the the preacher. If you had a whole first season to figure out who the preacher is and why he ends up the way he does, right? That would be awesome. And then you could really go any direction you want. Yeah. It's kind of like what they did with the Dawn of the Dead TV show. Like season one was pretty much the movie. And then uh, the show goes elsewhere after that. And so, yeah. I say Dawn of the Dead. I meant from from Dusk Till Dawn. 
Yeah. How far did that series go? I think it's three seasons. Okay. I don't know. I need to finish it. I like I liked the first season. It was fun. All right. So, uh, any final thoughts about Nightbreed and Midian before we roll nope. into our, our final verdicts? Nothing. That's I it. I think we've I think we've beat a dead monster. <laughs> okay. All right. So, do you think this movie hit its mark when it first came out in 1990, Josh? No, I think it was definitely uh, uh it was dead on arrival. Unfortunately. Uh, yeah. So. I, I think it's I think I gotta give it an F. I it definitely brought a knife to a gunfight for sure. And I it I gave it a D because it didn't lose money, but it didn't really make money, which doesn't make it a success. I mean if you're gonna put eleven million dollars right. into it and only make I mean, we don't know how much mark money went to marketing. That's not included marketing money. So um yeah, so I give it a D. And uh how relevant do you think this movie is today? Oh man, I You know we I so, don't know. For clarification, we I, I used to like rate movies on how relevant is it for like pop culture. But if we're talking about cult movies, then of course they're not relevant because they're in the they're in the cult status, which is why people gravitate towards them, you know, right. certain people. So in I guess you have to take of it a look as like as a as Clive Barker fans or just cult status, nineteen nineties movies. What do you think? So okay. And so this, I had initially I had given it a C and I guess based on, yes, it does have um, some pretty legit cult status. Uh, If you're a Clive Barker fan, you've definitely seen it. And the fact that you said, you know, they are going to, you know, hopefully put out a a TV show based on it. I mean, that does pull some weight. There's, there's enough interest there. Um, So to continue this idea. So yeah, I think it's a, I think I'd say a C. C. Yeah, I give it a C as well. It doesn't stand out. Uh, it's not like Hellraiser where that just is, that's a big movie. And, right. It's uh, a landmark. Yeah. Yeah. And even uh, Candyman, that's another big one too. And for so many different reasons. And so, yeah, with this one though, definite cult classic. I give it a, I give it a C as well. Like if you, if you've heard of this movie, you've probably seen it. Um, and so that's, you can take that any way you want. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, personal enjoyment. What do you think, Josh? Uh, I really didn't know what to think going into this, except that I knew that it was a mess and this version was an attempt to rectify some of that. So about halfway through the movie, I started enjoying it for what it was and I, you know, I give it a C. Okay. Nice. Um, I watched the first time I watched this movie, I was conflicted about it. I was just, I walked away from it where I was kind of like, eh. You know, kind of that that Robert De Niro face on. We're like, okay, yeah, okay, you know. <laughs> yep. and, and so with this, I give it a D because it it's just like there's a lot of potential here, and I just feel like the the writing's terrible, and or at least the editing of it. I don't know. I don't know what the original screenplay was it like. Right. So I would I would lean I would lean towards editing first. Yeah. And then writing second. As, right. As far as what the problem is. Right. So yeah, I give it a D. So uh, is this a midnight watch, Josh? Nope. Can't say that it is for me. <laughs> nope. Yeah, uh, not not for me either. But yeah, but if you like monster films, t- uh, check it out. There's a lot of cool monster designs in this. If you're yes. a Cl- if you're a Clive Barker fan, you, I mean, you you have to see this movie. It's it's one of, of Clive Barker's three films that he directed. Which I'm kind of surprised he didn't direct more films. I do feel like he is he is an apt director. You know, right? Or at least he's well, he not. Does, he, he does. I mean, consider himself an artist in a broader sense of the term of more than just a, a writer. So he definitely, I think has an eye for a lot of this stuff. Um, I think his ideas 
as far as the weird twisty mysticalness of his characters, I think he's able to capture that pretty well on yeah. film. Yeah. I agree. And the, the, he definitely has one thing over Stephen King as well as he was not coked out of his mind when he made this movie. There so, you go. yeah, big difference there, you know, big difference there. All right. Well, that uh, I think about wraps up this show uh, for today. If you guys enjoyed this as much as we did, then uh, tell your friends, cool. family, uh, anybody that you think would like this. Okay, everyone, you have a fantastic week. And as always, keep up the watch. <laughs>